How's your sense of direction? I have a geography degree, so it should be good. Okay. If I'm outside, it's better than if I'm in a mall. I get lost <laughs> in malls. <laughs> Welcome to the studio, Jillian. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very it's much. It's so nice to have you here. Conversation. The peaceful exchange of thoughts and ideas. Hello and welcome to The Conversation. I'm your host, Missy Jenna, and in studio today is Twitter celebrity Jillian Judson, who goes by the user handle at Perfinker. I can verify she is a real live human filled with tons of energy and enthusiasm for all things imagination. I am really excited to interview her today because imagination is a subject close to my own heart. I found her on Twitter, followed her to a fascinating EdFed conference, and we have a mutual friend in common, Craig Ma, who you may have heard on episode three. Jillian enjoys teaching, researching, writing in the Faculty of Education at Simon Fraser University. She is also co-directing the Imaginative Education Research Group. As an educational consultant, she explores a range of topics including imagination and ecological teaching practices, educational program design, and educational change. We're going to dive in to the beautiful subject of imagination. Hi, Jillian. Hi, Missy Jenna. <laughs> How are you today? I'm well. I'm really well. I'm really, really honored to uh, be here today. Oh, it is an honor to have you here. As a doctor, Dr. Jillian Judson, today I'm going to refer to you as Jillian because that is your preference. Jillian, I'm so excited to explore this topic with you. You have done so much research and learning and writing on the subject. It is so much fun to follow you on Twitter. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it, it's really an interesting way to interact with people, isn't yeah. it, Twitter? Yeah. That's a whole other topic. That is a whole other topic. And you have to use your imagination to bring the tweets to life, right? Yes, you do. So if you were just to scan tweets, it'd be one thing. But when I come across one of your tweets, I know who it's coming from, and it, it sort of bounces to life oh, good. off the Thank page. You. Jillian, how would you define imagination? Imagination is the ability to envision the possible and feel the possible. Okay. Notice I did not say fantasy. I did not say imaginary. Yes. But the ability to envision the possible. It is that generative feature that mm -hmm. is at the core of all human learning. Okay. Beautiful. And I also noticed that you didn't say imagine the impossible. No. You said imagine what's possible. Imagination is really the subjunctive okay. mode in language. Okay. So it is not detached necessarily from reality. It is taking what we know mm -hmm. and envisioning with knowledge new mm -hmm. alternatives, new combinations. Yes. If we didn't have the ability mm -hmm. to imagine in the way I've just described it, we wouldn't be able to understand a story. That's beautiful. I'm thinking from a child's perspective of imagination, and it's that connection between the mind and the heart. When totally. you feel something. Absolutely. And your mind gets excited and begins to explode with ideas. And when you're a child, it's so easy to play, let's pretend or mm -hmm. make believe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which is very, but for, very real for the child. Yeah. Because at 
that age, um, the imaginary isn't the same kind of thing that we talk about. Mm -hmm. it, it's very real. It is a process of learning. And that emotional connection is at the core. You cannot have imagination without emotional connection. Yes. Today, I'm going to ask you some questions about what you were like as a child and how, what led you to do what you do today. And at any time, feel free to stop, ask me questions. You know, we're just going to really play. Okay, good, good. <laughs> so the first question is, what were you like as a kid? I was definitely an outgoing kid, not mm -hmm. a very confident kid, okay. but I was a very hardworking kid. I was very fortunate to have had a very positive school mm -hmm. experience and a family that, without telling me directly, I felt like if I worked hard enough at something, I could succeed. Mm -hmm. I think you referred earlier to a moment that may have defined me or led mm -hmm. me on my path, and I don't think there was one moment. Mm -hmm. I don't think I was a very reflective child. I mean, really? thinking back now, yeah. I think to myself, were there any moments in particular? The only moments that stood out for me, mm -hmm. looking back over this golden schooling where I feel like I enjoyed it all, there were two moments mm -hmm. where I felt so unhappy okay. in my schooling. Okay. Whether that affected me to the core and I knew that I needed to not let that happen to other children, mm -hmm. whether or not that directed me in my life, I know that it had a profound effect on me at the time, even to this day. Really? So they're definitely lodged in my long-term memory. Can you share them with us? Sure. Okay. You asked me earlier how I felt about going to school, and I really did love it. Mm -hmm. I was the grade 12 graduate, I didn't know what I wanted to do because I loved all of it. Mm -hmm. Wasn't particularly good at the math, but mm -hmm. I was, I enjoyed it well enough. Mm -hmm. So I got a lot of pleasure out of learning. I have to say I was very good at jumping through the hoops okay. that were provided me. Mm -hmm. Some moments were more enjoyable than others in schooling. Mm -hmm. Others were not, but I was the kid that didn't push buttons and didn't okay. try to change the rules. Okay. So good experiences through school with the exception of, of twice. The first was in grade six. Mm -hmm. I remember the room. I remember the day. I remember where I was sitting. There was a person in front of me. I, I remember it vividly. We were doing French, mm -hmm. and it was across uh, dot to dot, okay. and it was a reindeer. Hmm. And the teacher, we were new to French. We just started French. She was doing all the numbers, 72, <laughs> and 89, and, and I was a very good student, mm -hmm. and I was doing my best, and I got, I messed up. Okay. I messed up the legs, mm. and she brought those papers in. And uh, she had us do something else, and at, by the end of the class, she graded them. Okay. She called us all up individually and held the paper out. Yeah. And mine had a big D oh, dear. on it. Oh, dear. And I know now, mm -hmm. I mean, ridiculous, mm -hmm. but at the time, I was profoundly hurt. Yeah. I felt this teacher was ridiculing me. She yeah. knew I was a good student and I liked to do well, and she whether she thought it was funny, but it profoundly upset me mm -hmm. that this was being put on display for other students. She was not a kind person. I felt scared by that okay. moment. Yeah. The second moment was in grade 11, chemistry. Mm -hmm. And basically, my teacher didn't know what they were teaching. Oh. They had a very limited knowledge of the subject matter and limited passion. It wasn't the full teacher. It was a student teacher who came in. Mm -hmm. And unlike many student teachers I had who were fantastic, I think this teacher was not in the right 
area for their placement. Mm -hmm. I was struggling and I needed human interaction and I needed to understand this poster on the wall that said, when in doubt, put into moles. (laughs) And the teacher didn't know. They had no engagement with the subject matter, no passion for it. And they they left me completely deflated. Mm -hmm. And it was the only time in my entire high school career that I despised going to class because I was with a teacher that lacked either respect for me mm-hmm. or engagement with the subject matter. Interesting. So from that experience in chemistry, you felt, is it fair to say, helpless? I felt helpless. I felt completely disengaged myself. My yeah. teacher was completely unaware of mm-hmm. the beauty of chemistry. I actually blame this individual a little for mm-hmm. me not ever pursuing anything in that area. Okay. I could have. Mm -hmm. I had the work ethic. I don't think I am a great scientific mind. Mm -hmm. But I didn't even want to move into Chemistry 12 because I was convinced that it was a waste of time. There was nothing interesting to know about chemistry. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. So this person had a profound effect on my choices. Mm. And looking back, I kind of resent that. Okay, interesting. So the teacher lacked passion. Completely. And lacked an ability to engage the students in how fascinating chemistry could be. Because the teacher didn't know. Right. They had limited subject matter knowledge. And was that your regular teacher? Like your everyday? It was the one I had for the two months at the beginning of the semester. And they lost me then. Well, I'm thinking about on a daily basis how substitutes slide in to fill absences Mm -hmm. and they may not have the expertise on music Mm -hmm. but they get thrown in to teach very challenging work yeah how challenging that would be for the substitute teacher as well as the students who see somebody Mm -hmm. who's maybe not passionate or engaged with what they're doing and that's the segue to imagination Mm -hmm. you cannot be imaginatively engaged which entails emotional engagement without your own emotional connection to subject matter. Really? And people that have expertise, yeah. they can find it. Yes. There's so many aspects. Yes. But if you don't have it, you can't provide an imaginative learning context for your students. So I really true. don't think so. I am exploding with connections on that. Yay. But before we leave mm. this question, mm. I'd like to go back to the reindeer in French oh, class. The reindeer. <laughs> let's let's clean that up a little bit for you. So your legs didn't come together. The on legs the were all crooked because you know I connected my soixante-dix to my quatre-vingt-dix-neuf uh-huh. or something. Okay. And we asked her to slow down. Mm-hmm. We couldn't follow her, yeah. and she didn't, and she was angry. I don't think she should have been a teacher. She she wasn't happy. She didn't okay. love us. She didn't, yeah. and I don't mean love, like yeah. paternal love. I mean, she didn't enjoy us. Mm-hmm. Teachers need to enjoy the students in their classes. Mm-hmm. Again, tons of connections, thinking about... You know, even when you go into a shop or a spa or and you just have a wonderful experience because that person really loves to be there and so you love mm-hmm. to be there and when that's missing, it's really sad and especially mm-hmm. in a school context where you're there to learn and if the educator is missing that passion or the ability to love what the students are sharing, it's an empty experience for the student. Totally. I think that might be the piece where how I say I, I loved all of my teachers. Like mm-hmm. I didn't, some were more interesting than others, mm-hmm. but they all either had a passion for the subject matter or mm-hmm. they had, um, a, they really enjoyed their 
profession. Yeah. And so some were better teachers than others, but since I was easy to teach, I did what I was told, Mm -hmm. it was only when I felt disrespected and undervalued that I was disengaged. I get it. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about my experience. Now, I was a very reflective child, and I loved people, personalities. I loved studying faces. And I loved the teachers that had such big personalities Mm -hmm. (laughs) that they would just fill the room with excitement and enthusiasm. And there were subjects I really didn't like, math, you know. And the the older I got, the more challenging it became. But if, you know, I had a comedian teaching me math... (laughs) might have been a different story. Fair enough. (laughs) So I really appreciate you taking us for a tour on those two moments that sort of stood out for you in your Mm -hmm. experience of school because you did enjoy school and, you know, you you did what you knew you had to do and became very aware of when it was missing, when those pieces were missing, that ability to connect your imagination to what was going on. Even, like, how many dozens of years later, it Mm -hmm. fires me up and bothers me. I'd yeah. like to go back and talk yeah. to that teacher and say, you made a difference and not a good one, right? Yeah. And I'd like to go back to all the other teachers and explain and just express my gratitude. Yes. And I mean, there's some that made a profound influence on my life, and we'll talk later about those people. Yeah. And I have told them. And um, I think they appreciate knowing that as well. Oh, yeah, because teachers, they give, they give, mm-hmm. and they don't always know the outcome of the difference that they make. And the teacher that made the biggest difference in my life was my kindergarten teacher. Mm. And I've never been able to go back as an adult to tell her that she passed away. But nevertheless, it's inspiring for other teachers to hear about those moments that shaped you because it makes a difference for them. They get that concrete feedback. Wonderful, Jillian. Now, you've explained that you didn't mind school. You like school. Yeah, I, I liked it. It was good. So let's talk a bit more about imagination. And in particular, what are some common misconceptions about the importance of imagination? I recently wrote a post, and the okay. first line is, don't shoot yourself in the foot. Okay. Because there's two links to imagination. One, I think that teachers that put in all this time and effort... Mm-hmm in their teaching and in their planning, if they neglect imagination, Mm -hmm. they're shooting themselves in the foot because they're going to be less effective as an educator. What's this got to do with this question? I was told by a colleague, Mm -hmm. don't use the word imagination in your titles, Mm -hmm. in your post titles. Don't use imagination in your tweets because half of the teacher population won't read your tweet. Really? You will not get a secondary teacher or college, university educators to read about imagination because it's misunderstood. So obviously there's a whole series of articles I've written now about that. Mm -hmm. So the major misconceptions, I'd say there's three. One is that it's the hook or the frill to learning. That is a major misconception. I like that. Let me absorb that for a minute. Oh, that imagination is the hook. Or the frill. If you listen in, fly on the wall of a teacher education course. Mm Mm-hmm you got to hook them. Mm-hmm. Do something imaginative. Yes. And then the idea is you go on to the real stuff. Okay. Completely wrong. That it's somehow at odds with or separate from academic learning. So we do the imaginative stuff, but then mm-hmm. we'll get down to the real business of learning. Mm-hmm. So there's a misconception that it's at the heart of arts curriculum mm-hmm. and less important than it is in mathematics or science. It's mm-hmm. just as important mm-hmm. in the thought process that goes into mathematics or scientific thinking as it is to the artistic. And that it's for kids. 
Yeah, that's a third. If I were to ask you, Mm -hmm. who's more imaginative, a child or an adult? Automatically, I'd say a child. And I would say an adult. Okay. Because from a Vygotskyan perspective, psychological Mm -hmm. perspective, Mm -hmm. the imagination, capacity to imagine grows with knowledge. Mm. So it depends how you define imagination. Okay. But if you define it by the ability to envision the possible based on knowledge and our capacity to mediate the world with Mm -hmm. stories and humor and metaphor, Mm -hmm. then adults have more of that capacity. Okay. But in our society, we don't talk about that. We, right. we define imagination a certain way. Mm-hmm. Little kids, arts, mm-hmm. frill, optional, non-academic. Okay. But if you define it in the way that I'm talking about it, and we talk about it at the Imaginative Education Research Group, it's very much, it's reason in her most exalted mood, and that was Wordsworth. Mm. So it's not a frill. It's right. at the core. Okay. And adults are imaginative. Yeah. I love that. Necessarily. When I say a child is more imaginative, I think the difference now understanding your three misconceptions is in my mind a child has more freedom to imagine. A child mm-hmm. isn't as restricted by having to do things a certain way. They completely. can dream up completely different possibilities. So, Oh, don't waste time dreaming. We're not allowed yeah. to do that as adults. Yes. Exactly. And when I think about imagination, something's coming together clearer in my mind today by talking to you, and that's the role of leadership. In being a leader, you're creating a new possibility for others mm-hmm. to envision, which requires a lot of imagination. And your ability to create these scenarios that somebody else can walk into totally is imagination. Marketing, advertising, yeah. those people are highly imaginative beings. Mm-hmm. The, the people that are making these games that we are, yeah. are kids and we might enjoy playing, these are all acts of imagination. The mm-hmm. journalism, the reporting, the, the couple down there having a coffee and chit-chatting mm-hmm. back and forth, and using narrative and telling stories, these are all imaginative acts. Yes, and imagination isn't always understood by the observer. Not always, no. Yeah, and so on my Twitter bio, you may have noticed uh, it's speaker, educator, innovator, advocate for the imagination advocate especially for the child's imagination because Mm -hmm. we can't always understand that connection they're making to something sure sure but to give them that space and then to give teachers and educators that space and freedom to imagine with them totally (laughs) that lights me up no for sure I would I should add my to my bio advocate for imagination for all okay (laughs) because I was at this workshop this morning and it's about play and the the big Mm -hmm. slide said for children play is learning Mm. and I just took everything in me to not say for all learners yes play defined as playfulness as Mm -hmm. the ability to envision possibilities and play Mm -hmm. looks different imaginative engagement looks different yes the tools of imagination for the primary teacher are very different than the tools of imagination for the theoretical thinker and educator yeah but it's all that same emotional capacity to envision the possible yes and last night i did like one of your tweets i think it was on, on play Yes, maybe. And 
you had posted something, well, it came up in my news feed about play for all learners. Yes. And I was like, can I like that 7,000 times? Yes, please do. <laughs> I, I love the idea, and play is so important. I believe the first time we met, you asked me, what is your name? Is it Missy or Jenna? And I said, oh, well, my first name is Jenna, but I go by the title Missy because it really captures my personality. Mm. I'm playful. I nice. like to play. And there's an understanding that nothing new occurs without play. No, nothing. <laughs> but we mustn't waste time playing, Jenna, right? Because this is serious business. But that's the mentality. Yeah, it's so sad. But let's continue to yes, do what do we're this. doing to make sure that play is understood. It's important for all ages. Play mm -hmm. is so essential to new ideas. The problem with all of this is mm -hmm. that we have to use language. Mm -hmm. We have to use words when we talk. And when we use a word like play, mm -hmm. many people will never hear what we mean mm -hmm. by the word play mm -hmm. because it comes with its own meaning and evokes preconceptions. Yes. Other people say, oh, I do play. And they're sp talking about specific breakout digital games they use with students. They're yeah. not. So the challenge, and my mentor, Dr. Kiernegan, always has said to me, if you believe when you say something that the person listening understands what you mean, mm -hmm. you're a fool. Say that again. I need to understand if this. If you say something to an individual and you think that they grasp your meaning, yeah. you are a fool. Okay. Because any number of the words in the sentence I just used could mm -hmm. have led you to envision something slightly different. Yeah. So words, we can't get beyond them. Yeah. We're tied to them, but they, they limit us. Oh. But we've been able to discuss to the extent where we understand where yeah. we're each coming from. Absolutely. With the word play and, and a little bit with about imagination. You know, Jillian, yesterday's interview, I opened with the question, did you bring a dictionary with you today? And why <laughs> and he's was like, that? dictionary, why? I said, well, I'd like you to define cool for me. Oh, funny. <laughs> and, and the point to that was we don't walk around in life with a dictionary. Nope. And so how I approached the meaning of cool turned out to be very different than how he approached cool. And the long mm -hmm. and short of that is I was trying to give him a compliment. I thought he was cool. Right, <laughs> and right. He, and he thought cool was artificial. Right, fair so enough. So I get what I your have. mentor is saying. And again, his name was? Dr. Kieran Egan. Kieran he is Egan. The, the great mind behind imaginative education, mm -hmm. which... Um, I've had the great pleasure of working with him. I'd years. love to meet him sometime. Yes. You know, I just had lunch with him. He's a great okay. man. Okay. <laughs> I'd love to do that. So the next question I have for you is, with new ideas and new approaches and new technologies or words and meanings, there can be resistance. And that resistance can be hard to work with. What tips do you have to help, like, the game changers for education or communication deal with resistance. Do you have any tips for us? Absolutely. Okay. I'm, one of the things I'm really fascinated in is educational change mm -hmm. and just how hard that is. But I'd have a two-part answer. The first part has to do with real conversation. Okay. And the second part has to do with evoking the emotion in the change process. So mm -hmm. let me go to the first part. The first part goes back a little bit to what we were just talking about in that oftentimes in education, people talk at each other, but mm -hmm. they don't talk to each other mm -hmm. because we don't hear e what each other is saying. Mm -hmm. So I will do, for example, a discussion about imaginative education and um, someone will respond with, oh, I really like your progressivist approach to teaching. Mm 
Mm. And imaginative education isn't that. What does that mean? It's, it's just a different set of ideas underlie this way of teaching. Mm-hmm. But there's reasons why in a staff room there can be heated arguments over whether or not to give late marks to students. Mm. Depends on your underlying beliefs and values about mm-hmm. education. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we need to, before implementing a new idea, before jumping in and giving things a shot or even doing a one-of pro-D, We need to have time for real conversation about why we teach, what guides us. We went into this profession with a moral purpose. Ultimately, teachers do. Mm -hmm. So what are our beliefs and values? Because if we can unearth those, it's a lot easier to communicate. We oftentimes don't even realize that. Mm -hmm. We think we see kids in the classroom as they are. Mm -hmm. We see them through the theories we've been raised to believe are true. Oh, look, there's a concrete operational thinker. Mm-hmm. Piaget is, is not even questioned anymore. Yeah. He just had an idea, and many would say it's fiction. It's not accurate. Yeah. So we need to have real conversations yes. about the changes we want to introduce. Mm-hmm. The second piece is we need to talk about just how hard change is. And I thought you might be interested in this. Michael Fullan talks a lot about educational change. He's Mm -hmm. very well known. But in one of his recent books, he cites a study where people were asked, would you rather change or die? Oh. And? Change. I would rather change. Well, evidence shows 90% would rather die. These people were very gravely ill. They were told in no uncertain circumstances, if you don't change your Mm -hmm. behaviors and attitudes and lifestyle, you will die. Hmm. They weren't told there'd be a follow-up in six months. Mm -hmm. 90% of the people did not change. Change is hard. Change Mm -hmm. can rock us to the core. Mm -hmm. So what then does motivate change? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things I'm finding from my work with teachers, it comes from several things. One is a stimulation of a new experience, a kind of experience that engages us emotionally and leaves us a little bit, a feeling a little bit of dissonance. Okay. Feeling a little bit doubtful that what we've been doing is the best way to do it. Not so much that we feel unanchored and Mm -hmm. afloat and feel like we've just, we're terrible teachers, Mm -hmm. but we need to be emotionally engaged something, but it leave us a little uncertain that what we're doing is right. And then... Yeah. We need to have the support and feel empowered enough to try on this new way. Okay. So it's a very magical balance. It's sort of the magic yeah. middle between being a top-down idea yeah. and a bottom-up interest in changing. Okay. It's really fascinating stuff. So my, my tip would be mm-hmm. that we need to have the conversations and then in our introduction of new ideas, mm-hmm. they need to be experiential mm-hmm. enough to leave people feeling, mm-hmm. but also a little bit of discomfort. Yes. A pedagogy of discomfort, I think, is more powerful for learning yeah. and change than something that is a, is a ton of back padding. Yes. If we're looking for real change. You and I speak the same language. I thought so. I get I it, so. and I do appreciate that share. Dealing with resistance to change can be challenging, can be deflating, can be downright discouraging. Because when you understand why you do the things that you do as an advocate for imagination for all ages, and for me especially for the children, I don't want them to lose their light during the schooling process. I don't want them to have those reindeer moments or those chemistry moments where they then become discouraged to do something that they would have otherwise been interested in. 
So thank you for sharing that with us. It gives a real indication of the power of moving out of your comfort zone. Because doesn't life happen outside the comfort zone? I think it does. Because <laughs> that, what you said, being deflated, I have felt deflated on, at times where I'm talking about imagination. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about how at the university level we should be engaging imagination using particular philosophical tools of engagement. And, mm-hmm. and then I've overheard somebody say, it's not realistic. That's imaginary yeah. education. Yeah. That is not Im- like to my core. Yeah. Imaginary education mm-hmm. was a really good demonstration that I was ineffective conveying my point. Mm-hmm. Hence the hamburger presentation mm-hmm. you saw. How can I demonstrate Mm-hmm. that we are all imaginative beings. We're all hungry for learning in different ways. Yeah. How can I do that in five minutes? And that's yes. what you saw at the get fed thing. I oh, think yeah. it worked. People were intrigued and then grossed out, but they, at the <laughs> end of it, realized that they came, they, we come to every topic yeah. with certain interests in mind. Absolutely. So we have to keep playing. I'm just yeah. playing as a presenter and as mm-hmm. a writer with ways of expressing an idea that can maybe break through that resistance to change. What I saw that night in five minutes was a powerhouse presentation. Mm. You were so dynamic in how you presented your ideas, and it was paired with something that you would typically... Yeah, <laughs> I didn't get it at first. And then I started to see and get what you were doing, and I was mesmerized by the energy oh, that you. you had on stage. So at some point, I wasn't even hearing what you were saying anymore. I was like... It wasn't fed- about the fact. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, so the point about it being revolting, that's yeah. another feature of... Feel, like, the ethically, what does this hamburger, this yeah. monstrosity say about human rights? And mm-hmm. so... By the time we got to that, yeah, you already got the point. But. I got the point, and I'm uh, a vegetarian, so... So that big beef was really yeah, gross. Yeah, not, it wasn't working for me, but I, I got the idea, the bigger picture around it, and how you used your imagination to connect two seemingly separate ideas mm. and make them make sense. So I was buying whatever you were selling. Oh, yay! Somebody <laughs> bought something. <laughs> and the next question I'd like to ask you is, in your life, is there somebody that stands out as the biggest game changer for you? I have two. Okay. Because I feel like there's a real disconnect. I had mm-hmm. the biggest game changer in my public school education career was someone that was a high school English teacher, Mr. Terrence Young, if you're listening. Mm-hmm. And he's still a teacher. He's near the end of his career. But he he made everybody, whether they were interested in English literature or French or not, he captivated us with his good humor mm-hmm. and his compassion mm-hmm. and his love of subject matter. Yeah. Even students that weren't bound to go on and study, you know, Canterbury mm-hmm. Tales in their free time, you just didn't you didn't want to miss Mr. Young's class. So okay. it was this combination of love of subject, good humor, respect for us, mm-hmm. and he enjoyed us mm-hmm. or he was a really good mm-hmm. he was good at pretending. <laughs> um, in my professional life, it definitely has been I felt it was kind of serendipity. I started my doctoral work at SFU with Dr. Kieran Egan, and I didn't know about imaginative education at the time. And I also worked with uh, Dr. Sean Blankensop, who came from Harvard, and he knew about um, ecological philosophy, and things kind of lined up for me. But it was when I started working, um, presenting, co-writing, traveling with Dr. Egan. Every time he speaks about imagination, I will. I have learned something new. Mm-hmm. He's profoundly changed me as a thinker and as a writer. And it's been a hard road. Mm-hmm. He's he's very good at improving 
my writing, but it's been hard, a lot of work. Mm-hmm. He's a very well-respected scholar mm-hmm. and philosopher, and so I've really appreciated that. I also, like many people that know him, appreciate his good humor yeah. and his huge heart. Yeah. So. Humor and heart. When I talked earlier about if I had a comedian teaching me algebra, it might have been a whole nother experience because the beauty of a comedian is they get it. There's a compassion underneath their their jokes yeah. because they understand something. And they He's thought, a very ironic man, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Egan. Yes, absolutely. Well, you have me sold on I Gotta Meet Dr. Egan. Yes, he you do. He sounds fascinating. Or at least watch anything of his if he's done oh, any Google talks. him. Okay, I will Google him. The next question I have for you is, at the heart of what you do and why, what influences your decisions on a daily basis? I think what I deal with on a daily basis in my teaching, in my writing, in my thinking is pedagogy. So ways of thinking and learning. And at the heart of that is emotional engagement. And that's where I start. And I know it's it's not going to be blasphemous for you, but it is in education mm-hmm. to say that we need to start with us. Mm-hmm. The teacher needs to start with their own emotional engagement with the subject mm-hmm. matter. That How dare I say that? But it's mm-hmm. true because if we are to create imaginative context for learning, then we need to imagine and acknowledge, acknowledge more than anything else, the imaginative life of the child. Yeah. Objectives-based ways of teaching are based on a model for building a refrigerator, and we are not refrigerators. There's no learning outside of the emotional context, and increasingly um, there's more research out of effective neuroscience mm. indicating the same thing. Emotions are at the helm. Mm -hmm. Emotions guide and direct all learning. So that would be what influences my decisions. If I'm teaching a graduate course, am I shaping my lesson or unit in a way that engages those tools of philosophic engagement? Mm -hmm. If I'm teaching literate students, am I using the tools of literacy to engage and enable and activate the imagination and the emotions of the learner? So it really is, for me, the emotions. Beautiful. I loved how you brought that all together. So at the heart of what you do and the decisions that you make is a a real deep desire to make learning real, make imagination real, and connect that to the emotions. Because humans, we're emotional beings. Completely. There's no way around That's where the perfinker comes from. Okay. At perfinker, it's a term that David Kresh originally used, Mm -hmm. says human beings never just think. We perceive and we feel and we think simultaneously. We yeah. perfink. And at the heart of it is feeling. Yeah. That's my handle, at perfinker. Mm-hmm. Imagine what classes would look like if teachers began from that perspective. Our mm-hmm. students are perfinkers. Mm-hmm. I think it's a danger to mm-hmm. shape lessons with the idea that humans are thinkers. Mm-hmm. Unless you acknowledge that it, all thinking invokes the heart, mm-hmm. we're in trouble. Beautiful, Jillian. Now we come to the mystery question. A mystery question. I need to get some help from the crew to pull out the wheel. Okay. My lovely wheel here. Do you like the colors? Beautiful. (laughs) Because I like to play and have fun. I'm going to spin the wheel. And when you hear the ding, I'll ask you the question. Okay. Jillian. Your mystery question for this episode is, what's a wish you've been carrying around since you were a child that has yet to come true? 
Oh, that's just going to make me cry. Aww. Take your time. I've all, I, I just, I know what it is. Mm -hmm. I, I would love to alleviate the suffering mm -hmm. of the people, not just in my life, but outside of my life that mm -hmm. suffer. Um, I think the more imaginative we are, the more empathy we have. Mm -hmm. And if I could alleviate the suffering of the people in this world, that would be it. And that's kind of heavy at the end yeah. of our playful conversation, but that is it. To alleviate suffering for others. Yeah. Oh. Emotional suffering, actual physical suffering. It's just, it's something I would love for, to come true. I know it's a big one. It's right up there with yeah. peace in the world, but. I'm with you. That's my end goal, world peace. And suffering, the alleviating suffering creates a new freedom for people. And as they move this wheel out of the way, I'm just going to get up and give you a hug. Oh, thank you. That was beautiful. Okay. Jillian, thank you so much for being here with me today and exploring the topic of imagination. I have learned so much from simply following you on Twitter and following you to an EdFed event and then having you here today to take a deeper exploration to who you are and why you do what you do. You have a quote, a takeaway thought, and you may have addressed this, yeah, the David Kresh quote, that it is dangerous to think about our students as thinkers. Human beings never just think. We are emotional beings who perceive, feel, and think simultaneously. Our students, our learners, are perfinkers. David Kresh. What does teaching look like when we acknowledge that our students are perfinkers? You've been listening to the imagination theme of the Conversation podcast. As your host, it is an honor to explore and share these moments with you. Jillian generously graced the studio with her love of all things imagination. I'm going to ask Jillian what the three things she hopes someone like you, our dear listener, would remember about this episode. So Jillian, before you go, can you share with us the three moments that mattered most to you during this episode? First would be that effective teachers are engaged with students, okay. relationships, and with subject matter. Okay. Secondly, that imagination matters mm -hmm. for all learners. Mm -hmm. And third is simply that human beings love to learn. Mm -hmm. Do you know what a collective noun is for a group of jellyfish? No. It's wonderful. It's a smack oh. of jellyfish. <laughs> for some reason, mm -hmm. it's kind of nice to know that. Yeah. Human beings love to learn, and unfortunately we've schooled some of that yeah. passion out of our students so imagination acknowledging it bringing it back to the center mm -hmm. un uncovering it because it's always been there is work that's worthy of doing absolutely and in that we alleviate suffering for others create a new freedom if there was something else about this episode that stood out for you do let us know find us on twitter Jillian is at Perfinker. 
P-E-R-F-I-N-K-E-R. And I'm Missy Jenna, at Missy Jenna, M-I-S-S-Y-J-E-N-A. You may see us banter back and forth on Twitter, and I believe you will get a lot out of following Jillian's passion for sharing about imagination. And Jillian, what's one thing I'd really love to see happen after someone hears this episode? You'd like to see our listeners rate, review, and subscribe to the Conversation Podcast. Beautiful, because we are humans helping humans learn, lead, and inspire. See you soon. Thanks for being with us today.